listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 75. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Labwaker! Ooh, всем привет! Hey, Sam, hey, Andres, uh, What is this? Uh, What is this? Sporting knowledge of his Latvian language. Uh-huh. Whatever. No, hang, hang on. Okay. Andras is yeah. not the Latvian person in this podcast. Well, What's going on? Well, neither no, am not. I, to be fair, but yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, but I am in Riga, which is the capital of Latvia, where Jelena is from. Hmm. Uh, but it's not just the three of us today, so I'd like to welcome Hayley Stevens. To the show again. Hey. Hello. Hayley, hello. <laughs> Good to be back. Welcome. Way. Thank you. I would say it's been a while, but yeah, uh, not a long while. <laughs> well, too long anyway, too long. Oh, that's very kind. We had you, I believe, on episode 66, which was just a couple of weeks ago. So yes. how are things? Um Really good. It's good to be back on. Yeah, but there is a special purpose why uh, we asked you yeah. to, to, to come I haven't on the show. Just I haven't just come to hang out. All of that would be really cool. Uh, actually, actually, we could do that free. at some point. Yeah, <laughs> just just the hangout. You yeah. know, I just thought I'd I'd interrupt. Um, but no, you very kindly invited me on your show to plug an initiative um, that you think your listeners might get behind. Shall I just go straight into it? Definitely, oh, absolutely. Yeah, that yeah. would be great. Okay. As you probably know, uh, in the UK, we have a conference uh, called QEDCon. It's not a Never huge deal. <laughs> probably not heard of it, to Never. be honest. You know, hardly anyone goes. And it's a bit boring. <laughs> <But> <laughs> we, uh, we have QEDCon here every year, um, and it's a brilliant conference. And every, I think for the last five years, I've raised money to buy tickets for people who can't afford to go and you know students or people on low incomes and stuff because i think it's such an engaging and educational conference that people should have a chance to go if they can and this year i'm raising money again uh, to get people to qedcon and the very lovely ben and stephen from edinburgh skeptics who if you've been to skeptics on the fringe you'll have met them uh, i think you'll probably meet them if you go this year mm-hmm. uh, they have come together and they've donated a whole bunch of books And there are some really cool books here that are up for grabs to people who make a donation to help us fund the tickets to get people to QEDCon this year. And it would just be really cool if people made a donation because these, I mean, there's an American first edition of Trick or Treatment signed by Simon Singh up for grabs, which is just incredible. Wow, yeah. There's also a signed copy of Cat Arnie's Herding Hemingway's Cats Ooh. and Ooh. a signed copy of Alam Shahar's The Young Atheist Handbook, which is really, really good. So those are the three signed books that we have up for grabs. And if you donate £30 or more, you are instantly in with a chance of winning one of those. If you donate £20 or more, uh, that we have some brand new but unsigned books. We've got Higgs by um, Jim Baggett, Religion for Atheists uh, by Alan de Botton, Street Magic by, by Paul Zenon, Bad Farmer by Ben Goldacre, Time Warped by Claudia Hammond, Things to Make and Do in the Fourth Dimension by Matt Parker, and there are loads more. There's a whole list. I won't read the whole thing out. And if you make a donation of £20 or more, you could win on one of those too. And obviously everyone who makes a donation is also helping to fund tickets for people to get to QEDCon. Uh, because although the organisers try and keep the price as low as they can, and they do a really, really good job, some people still can't afford to go who could actually benefit from attending. Mm. So every pound that's donated goes towards getting people to QEDCon. And any money that's left over, so if we have anything that can't go towards a ticket... Uh, that remaining money will be donated to the Good Thinking Society. Wow, great. Cool. So, good, good causes all around. Yeah. So how, ma- how many tickets do you hope to, to raise? Well, I'm hoping to raise money for a minimum of 10 tickets because every year that we've done this, amazingly, we have raised enough to get at least 10 people mm-hmm. to every previous conference. 
and um, so I'm hoping to get at least 10 tickets which will be a minimum cost of £750 and we've already raised £625 at the time of recording and um, we have donations coming in every day but obviously we we want to get to at least £750 and we want to keep going Um, we will obviously have to cut it off at some point to make sure there are tickets still left because in previous Mm -hmm. years QEDCon has sold out and you know it also gives people a chance to start to save up for the other costs that they'll face Um, but yeah so if people do want to make a donation they can go to my blog which is hayleyisaghost.co.uk and there's a link on there with a list of all the books that are up for grabs um, and that will be on the front page and you just click on there and all you have to do is use your email address and then if you do win one of the books i'll be in touch via email great so so how how if you want to be selected if you're not on the donating side but you really Mm -hmm. need uh help with going uh, (laughs) how did you apply for one of the free tickets so very soon at the beginning of june i will open the applications and as soon as we know what we've raised and how many tickets we can fund we then close the applications and it's literally we kind of just put the names into a spreadsheet give them all a number and then use a random number generator and select however many tickets we have you know for however many people we can and will then be in touch and it's open to students but also to people who who are on a low income um so as soon as we open the applications it will be on my blog as well and on social media and um so yeah and the the one thing i think some to begin with people feel a bit discouraged from applying because i don't think anybody likes to think that they're kind of taking advantage of something but you know, this is this is the purpose. The purpose of this is to get people to QEDCon who cannot afford to go. And so I would encourage people that if you can't afford to go and you want to go and you think you would benefit from going, then do apply for a ticket. It's completely anonymous and only myself and um, Google Checkout knows that you're the person who got one of the, the tickets that were funded through this. And I don't tell anybody because I have a really bad memory anyway. So, um, <laughs> that works for you. <laughs> <laughs> so that means you're you're not in touch with any of the the, the, the previous uh, winners of this free ticket. Well, I do. Um, some of the people who have won the previous tickets do come up to me at conferences and speak to me and and tell me they're having a good time and so on. And mm-hmm. I have I have been in touch with some of those people just to ask them, you know, for quotes like for the fundraising. I wanted a quote that I could use to show people how their money can help. So um, one of the previous ticket winners. I say winners, I, I, it's not a competition as such, but one of the people who had a ticket in 2013 gave me a quote to say um, how attending the conference as a student um, was an eye-opening experience and showed him you know, the, the scale of topics and issues that scepticism can have an impact on. And we have had people from across Europe um, have these tickets. So mm-hmm. it cuts out a huge part of the cost of attending this conference. Yeah. And I think that helped them to form links and establish um, relationships with sceptics from elsewhere, which has helped them with their sceptical activism and, and so on. Um, so it's definitely worth, if you can support it, it's, it's definitely worth supporting because it really does have a good impact. And if you can't attend QED and, and you think you would like to or that it would be beneficial, then you should definitely consider applying. So mm-hmm. you don't have to justify why you're applying. You just apply and we just draw your name at random. So, so you don't have any any f- filtering options for, for those who are really in need of, of, of this help? No, we, we do prioritise students because it does help with people who are studying scientific fields and so on Um, so when when you do apply you will have to tick whether you would need a full price ticket um, Mm -hmm. or if you're a student and and that's what we also ask that because you do have to have student identification and the organizers would need to know that Um, but yes we do try and prioritize students but if we raise enough we will also be able to fund tickets for those who are not students if you want to go just apply and we'll see what we can do it's awesome amazing amazing yeah. 
Thank you. Great job. Thank you, Haley. Great. Good work. Well, thank you very much. And to our listeners, please, if you can spare just a couple of euros, pounds, whatever you can, consider donating. It's a great help to all those in need of, of a free ticket. And I, I'm, I'm hoping I'm not being too cheesy to say that it could potentially be like a life-changing experience for someone, especially someone who yeah. is studying in university. Yeah. We have had somebody previously who got a free ticket, wasn't quite sure that it was her thing, and she was training to be a teacher. And um, she attended the conference, saw all of the range of speakers, um, took part in some of the panels and so on, and said that it, it really cemented for her the, the way in which she wanted to go forward with her teaching. So it can wow. really, really help people. Yeah, it can have a huge impact. That is amazing. Yeah. All right. I, I, I wish you the best of luck with this. And, Thank uh, you. Yeah, not, not just to you, but uh, to, to those who want to attend as well. <laughs> yes. And yeah, remember there are these awesome books up for grabs too. So there's definitely an incentive yeah. there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Okay. Hayley Stevens, thank you very much again for joining us for this. Thank you for having me on. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. What an initiative. That's that's great. Yeah, I hope a lot of people will be able to attend because of this. Yeah, I think, I think it's great. I, I think uh, we want to see everybody there and... You know, you don't have to be a student to apply for this, but I do think it's important to get young people yeah. into to uh, Not not that everybody that goes there there are as old as me, but we, the young people are the ones that we want to reach with our skepticism. Yeah, they are the future. They are. When I was young, I had to go to this not a relative, but a friend of an old relative of mine. Uh, who, and they had a son there, and I didn't see him very much, but uh, uh, it's somebody I've kept track of over the years, and his name was Anders Arborelius. So it's a pretty unusual name, so it's easy to for me to, to follow, and he, be, he grew up to be uh, a very prominent person in the Catholic Church. Okay. And he became the first Swedish Catholic Archbishop in Sweden, since the 1500s or something so so he's really a good thing so uh, no no not a good thing but he'd made a good <laughs> career of himself that's what i want to say okay and and today as we record this this is on what is it the 21st of uh, may the pope made a declaration in rome or in the vatican on who is going to be the new cardinals because of Apparently, they, I guess they die off and they have to replace them. And this is what he said. Monsignor Anders Arborelius, Vescovo di Stoccolma, Svezia. Yeah. So the guy that I knew when I was 10 and he was about 15 or so, he has now become a cardinal uh, at the, in, in the Vatican. Does that mean all your sins are forgiven? I don't no, think so. No, but he could he could become the next pope. He could become the pope. So this show has now become just one step, uh, or maybe two steps, uh, from uh, from the the papacy, and that's uh, that's pretty interesting in a way. <laughs> <laughs> I I haven't talked to him in forty years, but I do think he would know who I am if I if I reminded him. So we we so... have some connections in this show. Do you hope for him uh, becoming the next pope and then uh, reinstating some things that um, Pope Francis got rid of, like uh, all that lifestyle? And yeah, you're you're hoping for some some help. Uh, you want to ask him a favor, or <laughs> maybe I'm a maybe I'm a cynic, but I don't think there's any hope for the for the Catholic Church. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I think I I'm a, I agree with you. <laughs> <sighs> hmm. Yeah. Anyway. I thought mm. I'd mention it. It was a little bit of a surprise to me. Interesting stuff. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Oh, oh guys, have you have you seen um, that there is um, an article on civilsociety.co.uk and they say that uh, the Charity Commission has already had more than 300 responses, which mm, is quite good. good. Yeah, that's mm. a good feedback from, from the society. Mm. And... They said it. Uh, they would publish a formal analysis within twelve weeks. So something to look forward to. Yeah, um, we'll keep that uh, covered, I guess. Yeah, interesting yeah. development. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and um, yeah, there, there, there might be a couple of them um, that that 
can lose their charitable status, which would be an interesting step. But for those who do, who don't know what we're talking about, it's um, it's the, the Good Thinking Society um, contacted the Charity Commission, which uh, which re- is responsible for regulating uh, charitable organisations in the UK. That was with regards to um, those organisations who promote health related uh, products and 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 they have some health related claims. It says. The Charity Commission must seek evidence from peer-reviewed journals and medical professionals rather than from anecdote and media coverage. Um, and this is this is why this whole thing is happening right now. It's it's a great initiative. So that's something something to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah. And uh, other news, um, Evidence Matters. That started in the UK as well because um, Sense About Science is a is a UK charitable organisation, and uh, they actually try to find out about different claims whether they they hold water or not. Uh, not talking about homeopathy, it does hold a lot of water actually. Um, <laughs> but uh, Sense About Science EU is now doing what the Sense About Science in the UK did in, last November, which is uh, an event called Evidence Matters, where people um, actually come up to uh, politicians and um, uh, lawmakers and tell them why in their life evidence has a certain importance and why policies should be based on evidence and this will be happening in brussels in june in june actually on the 21st of june and they expect to have at least 100 people attending and there will be 10 to 15 people actually explaining why evidence matters to them so it's it's another it's a Europe-wide event and that is something that every skeptical organization should keep an eye out for. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Okay, uh talking about keeping an eye out for uh different events. Yes, we we should go to the events page on our on our webpage the esp.eu and there you will read all about things i know for from memory here i know that there is the uh, meadows festival in edinburgh mm-hmm. where the edinburgh skeptics will have a tent for two days and they will demonstrate homeopathy they will demonstrate uh, horoscopes etc etc but there are lots of other uh, events happening all around europe all the time so go to our webpage and, and, and look those up and also if you want to get in touch with us um, you can follow us on twitter and our twitter handle is at espodcast underscore you um, you can email us email address is info at theesp.eu or you can follow us on facebook also if you go on our website, um, as Pontus already mentioned, theesp.eu, you can fill in the um, uh, contact form on there as well to get in touch. Um, if you get our podcast via iTunes, please leave us um, a review and spread um, the word about the podcast yeah. to uh, your friends. Yeah. And you can even uh, send us a few bucks if you want to on our webpage by clicking on the donate button. We would appreciate that. Yes. Cool. Okay, thank you very much. All that means that we are ready to actually start the show. And uh, as usual, we'll start this episode with a regular segment. The first one among those is This Week in Skepticism, presented by Yelena. This week I want to talk about um, Arthur Conan Doyle, um, who was born on the 22nd of May, the week uh, that our episode is getting released. 22nd of May, 1859. Um, he is a well-known writer, British writer, um, a detective fiction uh, specifically, of course. Um, Sherlock Holmes is one of his uh, most famous creations. But um, there is more to uh, Conan Doyle that meets the eye. <laughs> and um, so, so, so some of the other things that he was involved in were, for example, Justice Advocate. He um, actually not only wrote um, about 
crime investigations, but helped to solve two, which is quite exciting. Uh, the real life crimes um, that he solved and um, uh, helped to release uh, two un- um, innocent men who were uh, convicted unfairly. He's also been uh, a very great advocate for spiritualism and um, (laughs) believed in fairies, which is um, unusual because you'd think that he has been um, somewhat of a skeptic his whole life, uh, judging by the books that he wrote. But um, that was not the case. And I guess the fact is that um, the... um, Mediums were quite popular back in those days, um, and because of the um, the times and the end of the war and a lot of deaths around, uh, people were looking for comfort, and so going to the medium, going to seances, trying to get in touch with the loved ones was the way of people to cope with, with the loss in a lot of ways. And he uh, propagated um, the um, uh, mediums uh, around the country, and I know that he spent a lot of money um, doing that. So he tried to lead several uh, psychic investigations. These included attending around 20 seances, um, experiments in telepathy and sitting with medians. Um, He wrote to spiritualist journal Light and uh, he declared himself to be a spiritualist and spoke of one particular psychic event that had convinced him. Um, I couldn't find exactly uh, what that related to. But I'm sure there's more information online. He has been fascinated by the, uh, all things paranormal and he truly believed um, that the mediums and psychics are, are, do have the gift. And I can s- kind of understand where he was coming from. He lost his son, um, who died uh, quite young, and um, you know he was looking for uh, consolation. He was looking to find the way to reconnect with him after he died, and there was a lot of that around him. So that was probably uh, one of the ways, again, like I said uh, earlier, to cope with it. Conan Doyle also travelled to Australia and New Zealand on spiritualist missionary work in 1920 and continued his mission all the way up to his death, speaking about his spiritualist conviction in Britain, Europe, and America. I don't know how many people are aware of the um, really old photograph with the fairies in the garden taken by two young uh, kids in 1917. It's um, just a black and white photo of the girl sitting in the garden and she's surrounded by small fairies. So he was one of the very strong uh, believers that that was a true picture taken in the garden, that the fairies exist. Um, And never stopped believing even after this picture was discredited and uh, the kids who took that picture admitted that it was fake but um, nevertheless it didn't shake his faith uh, into it at all Um, at some point in his life he was actually friends with Houdini who was illusionist and stunt performer that's it, noted for his sensational escape act. But Houdini was a sceptic as well, so he knew there was nothing beyond death, even though he desperately wanted to believe it. And so they clashed, um, and that was their big um, point of, of disagreement, and, and their friendship, unfortunately, fell apart because of that. So there we go, some fascinating facts about uh, Arthur Conan Doyle and his not-so-conventional beliefs. Yeah. There's an interesting uh, story about uh, how uh, Houdini tried to convince yeah. uh, Conan Doyle about yes. that yeah. there was all fake. So he, he, yeah. he, made, he did a trick yeah. for, for Conan Doyle, and, but he didn't want to... Re- he, he said, this was a trick. Yes, that's right. I'm not, I'm not it, going, yeah. mm-hmm. But I'm not going to tell you how it works. Yeah. And then, of course, yeah. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle con- uh, said, no, but that means that you are uh, uh, psychic or have paranormal uh, abilities. So it was a it's, bit strange. It's funny how it backfired. Because um, yeah. I, I know exactly the story you're talking about and I've read it and I'm, and I'm like, oh, how? why didn't it work? And, you know, there were so, such close friends and it, it seemed to have had all the right things in yeah. place. But... You, we know about the backfire effect. Actually, um, there are a couple of very good articles on uh, the, the, their um, connection and uh, and on, on how Houdini tried to um, convince um, uh, Conan Doyle, uh, written by Massimo Polidoro. Who, ah, there you go. Yeah, 
And uh, I think they're they're available on the CSI's website. It's interesting, and I think is is there a series either coming out or already out on BBC about Conan Doyle and Houdini? Uh, I kind of came across it when I was do, doing research. Well, not that I know of, but that that doesn't mean anything. Oh. Yeah. yeah, but anyway. Okay, thank you very much, Yelena. Pleasure. Also, just on a side note, nothing to do with Conan Doyle, but I just wanted to mention the fact that on the 24th of May, 2010, the unfortunately well-known Andrew Wakefield was struck off register by General Medical Council. Uh-huh. So okay. I just wanted to get it in there. <laughs> 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 because I thought it's worth mentioning. Yeah. And he is no longer considered to be a medical professional and people should not listen to his advice as a medical professional. Right. Here, here. Here, here. There we go. Nice. Two Thank things. Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. Let's see what's going on across Europe in terms of um, sceptical news. Anti-vaccination. You must have come across uh, one or two of uh, these uh, websites or Facebook pages that promote this study massively. And they allegedly show that there is an increased risk of neurological development disorders if you are vaccinated. And this is supposed to be a proper study published in the Journal of Translational Science. But there are a couple of things to mention when we want to judge whether this is an actual thing. Well, that doesn't stop the anti-vaccination promoters and, and supporters from spreading this article and claiming that this is actually true, that uh, vaccination causes harm. Well, what is this all about? So this this study, which was retracted from the Frontiers in Public Health, that it was first published in, uh, reappeared on the Journal of Translational Science, which is um, a clever move. Uh, by anyone who who wants to push their their own um, studies or so-called studies, because this was not a proper survey. It was an online survey ah. asking 415 mothers of homeschooled children about uh, what vaccination um, had to do with their their children's uh, conditions or different conditions. An online survey. That's like the the least reliable kind of data collection yeah you can pretend to be anyone mother father yeah and um then this 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 fact of uh the 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 original article having been retracted and then reappearing somewhere else that's a bit fishy and um, then there are um, other different problems um, mentioned by not only Snopes.com, but also uh, by Steve Novella and ORAC on uh, Respectful Insolence. I just wanted to mention this, that, that this is out there. And please, if you come across this article by anti-vaccination promoters, please uh, take the time, read up on it and let as many people know about the fact that that this is a terrible way of of coming up with uh, something that looks like a scientific study, but it's actually not. Uh, it's it's absolutely harmful uh, to to come up with this and spreading it like crazy. Yeah, and w- one of the worst thing with this, I think, is that it was spread as a link, so that even the researchers do not know how many people saw the link to take the survey which means yeah. that they don't know at all how many how many who saw the survey actually replied so and that's fundamental you don't even know how many dropped out of the survey so you, that means you have no statistical means of of validating the results no and it's it's definitely not representative <laughs> and no. and it's it all leads towards a proper confirmation bias because obviously you will be 
um, driven to, to, to do the survey if you have something to report. So of course it will it will show what you want to come out uh, want it to to come out with um, as a result so ah it's a no 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 red flags everywhere <laughs> so yeah. please show those red flags to everyone who has probably come across this article or or, or this link please educate your friends and families about this yeah, talking about education, educating the public, one of those ways is Wikipedia, right? Yes, it is. And uh, <laughs> Wikipedia founder Jimmy Wales is launching a Wiki Tribune service to combat fake news that um, are spreading like wildfire out there. Oh, yeah. The internet um, inter- entrepreneur has created a wiki tribune um, a news initiative which says it will see professional journalists and community contributors produced fact-checked global news source stories um, the new site will be free to use but also will accept donations from monthly supporters um, who will then be able to suggest topics to be covered um, while the site also says it will publish full transcripts of interviews where possible as part of Transparency Plan. This will be the first time that professional journalists and citizens um, journalists will work side by side as equals, writing stories mm-hmm. as they happen and editing them live as they develop and at all times backed by community checking and rechecking all facts, which is what's so good about Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. But it's a double-edged sword. It is, and especially the fact that people who contribute will be able to choose the topic is a little bit tricky. Um, so prominent web, web news sources, including Google and social media sites like Facebook, have been um, heavily criticized in recent months um, over the spread of fake news stories on their platform. Um, and they've both pledged to improve the tools that monitor for such content. But Mr. Whale says Wiki Tribune will also try to lower the news media's reliance on advertising through its monthly support program so i think and i see what he's trying to do there but it could also backfire i think a little bit well it seems like a good combination of professional journalism and uh public activity and public public activism about this so yeah well see he's saying so the basic concept here is to have a community-driven news platform um so very much like the other wiki communities like wikipedia Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it will have a business model which is based on monthly supporters rather than advertising, um, so that it drives uh, incentives in a different direction. Um, sounds good. Um, it really does. Keep, keep, uh, we'll keep an eye on this um, as it develops and um, uh, as it goes live, um, and hopefully it will become a great resource. Because um, now, who knows where does one go for good news source um i tend to like read a variety of newspapers to get kind of an understanding <laughs> of all sorts of sides sides of issues but maybe that could be yeah but you can only get so many sources of information so um and you cannot spend if you want to know something about something it's uh, you can only s- spend so much time with yeah, uh, with reading up on the same topic yeah. Uh, to to find out if if that's correct, because otherwise you can just yeah. just gonna get lost in. Yeah, it's becoming increasingly frustrating to try to get to the bottom of things and find out what the what actually happened, what what the reality is. Yeah, um, because there are so many things to to get to the bottom of. Yeah. <laughs> and indeed. Okay. All right. All right. Um. Yeah, and Jimmy Wells seems to be um, involved in a lot of things uh, these days. Uh, I'm pretty sure uh, I'm going to mention him later on. But let's stay with um, on the international level first, bef- before we start mentioning individual countries and what's going on there. So uh, we haven't talked about all trials for a while. 
Old Trials, uh, for those those of you who don't know, is an international campaign, an ongoing campaign um, that uh, that involves a lot of uh, large organizations, um, including Sense About Science, that is behind Old Trials in a way, and Ben Goldacre, whom we uh, probably all know, or at least a lot of us know, and uh, he's an amazing promoter of good science in the health-related issues. And um, that was um, a WHO um, position published um, in 2015. And uh, that was about, that, that was a, a kind of a call by by the, the WHO um, that said, results from clinical trials should be publicly reported within 12 months of the trial's end. Uh, results from previously unpublished trials should be made publicly available and organizations and governments should implement measures to achieve all this. The only problem is that even though the the WHO is um, an influential organization, it doesn't have legislative powers. So it doesn't mean too much. But more and more organizations are joining in to back this uh, statement and this call. Now, there are several major research funders and NGOs join this club and they agreed to adopt these strong standards promoted by the WHO on clinical trial transparency. So um, that means that they all published their own statement in support of this, and uh, these these uh, funders and uh, and organizations include Medicines Sans Frontieres, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Indian Council of Medical Research, the Norwegian Research Council, the UK Medical Research Council, and the Wellcome Trust. Uh, so that is pretty good company. It's a pretty good company. So um, this is why I, I do agree fully with the the chose uh, the the chosen title for this news item on the All Trials website that says no more excuses as major global research funders take strong lead on clinical trial transparency. So that's the way to go. Absolutely. Um, and uh, that is a good um, opportunity to mention that you can still sign the original petition of all trials. And if you go to alltrials.net, you will find that petition. And uh, if you have an organization or you can do it as an individual as well, please do join it. Please show the world that you are in support of full clinical trial transparency. We should not leave it open to uh, manipulations with with data by trying to hide um, non-positive clinical trials. And moving on to Sweden, I wanted to revisit uh, last week's interview with uh, Teddy Weinroth because as he mentioned in the interview, there would be a third part of this documentary. And if you haven't, it's it's a long story, so I, I, I... ask you to go back and listen to that interview if you want to know the details about this but it basically contained uh, the story of two different murder cases in Sweden Uh, so what I wanted to talk about was the Kevin case the second uh, uh, case that we talked about uh, about the two young brothers that were accused of killing uh, a a four-year-old friend of theirs Teddy mentioned that there was a, a third part of this documentary coming, and I have now seen that when it went on Swedish national television. And, and where to start? In this documentary, there are lots of footage from the interrogations, because they were all filmed when they interrogated these two kid, kids who were five and seven at the time. Uh, they were filmed for, uh, with a video camera. Uh, it is really horrible to watch. Mm. This was about 18 years ago, so these are now uh, uh, young adults. Uh, The younger one, who was five years at the time, in the videos, he's clearly bewildered by the whole thing. He has no idea what he's expected to say. He doesn't seem to understand the seriousness of the situation. 
but he tries you know in my mind in my opinion he's try he tries his best his best to just play along and understand what he's supposed to say even after consistently saying that he was never near this water with kevin when pressured he says that well kevin drowned because they tell him it's about water, right? And he tells them he was pushed into the water. But the police are not happy with that because Kevin didn't drown. He seems to have been strangled. But of course, the young boy doesn't know that. So he's trying to fill in the blanks cued by, by the police. After many, they were interrogated like 30 times over a number of days. So after many days of interrogation, the police clearly tells him the young, uh, younger brother, that Kevin was hurt in the throat. And, and the brother uh, replies, well, Kevin fell. Which, because he doesn't know what to answer. If he is hurt, he must have fell. Uh, the older brother is more stressed by the whole deal. And in my opinion, he puts up an extremely brave and consistent narrative uh, where he tells he was never near the water where Kevin was found and he'd never hurt, he did never hurt him. And... Only on the last day, after four hours of constant harassment, in my opinion, the investigators makes a deal with him that if he confesses, he can finally see his mummy again. But even then, they never really get him to say that he killed Kevin. In, a ca in addition, according to the protocols, there are a uh, another family who gives both brothers an alibi for the time that Kevin died. Uh, since that doesn't fit into the story that the police believes, they are ignoring this alibi. So it, it, it's really a scandal. It's clearly a scandal. I'm not a psychologist, but when I look at this, I, I'm fully convinced that the brothers do not know what they're supposed to say. They are not guilty of this. They don't know what the police is on about. Disregarding this obvious tragedy, the, the interesting thing is to me is that the reaction from the two interrogators, one woman and one man who's interrogating these children, and they were co coached by this psychologist Sven-Oke Christiansson that Teddy talked about. When they are confronted with the videotapes now, uh, they both clearly realize that the way they remember the interviews are clearly different from what really happened. They remember getting confessions from these two boys but they clearly never really did uh, and uh, as you as was discussed in this previous interview since they were they were underage very much underage there was never a trial just the police said that we believe we have now confessions from these two young boys and we know that they killed kevin and that was uh, the end of it so there was never a real trial and the worst part of it is that there are 80 other murder investigations that this Sven-Oke Christiansson was involved in, in the, in the 80s and the 90s. And, um, well, who knows uh, if, they were arrived, if they arrived at the right conclusions in all these 80 other murder investigations. Terrible story. It is just crazy. Yes, absolutely. Um, very depressing. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. Thank yeah. you very much. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's okay. move on. Yeah. So yeah, talking about depressing. Mm -hmm. um, it's quite depressing uh, what has been going on in Turkey in terms of free speech and uh, actual freedom, to be honest. Mm. But uh, recently, the Turkish the Turkish government has done a very silly thing, which was blocking online access to all wikipedia in all languages across the country and that was yeah. over um some um, content that was making uh, allegations about possible terrorist connections to the the turkish government and um since there is a law that's a numbered 5651 and was enacted in uh, uh, May the 4th 2007 it made it possible to make this happen and uh, the, the law originally is not there uh, to, to censor the certain content but uh, it was used this on this occasion to to do that so um, 
the Turkish Information and Communication Technologies Authority uh, stated that after, uh, quote, after technical analysis and legal consideration based on the law in, in number 5651, an administrative measure has been taken for the website. And Jimmy Wells resp- responded on Twitter, that's hence, hence my mentioning earlier that uh, that uh, Jimmy Wells will be talked about <laughs> again. Mm-hmm. Um, access to, uh, he said, access to information is a fundamental human right. Turkish people, I will always stand with you to fight for this right. As a result of this statement, he was uninvited <laughs> to one of the uh, a great smart cities kind of expo, the World Cities Expo in Istanbul, uh, which was held in the city between the 15th and 18th of May. So, yeah, Jimmy Wells was not welcome anymore. Yeah, what what was the problem um, that with with this whole thing? First of all, the Turkish government either doesn't know how Wikipedia works... <laughs> or um or they do know very well how it works but because they don't have the power or they, they don't have control over it they decided to to go on with this very drastic measures uh the wikimedia foundation at the beginning of may actually submitted an objection to the block uh to to ankara's first penal court of peace and it was rejected a couple of days later. The explanation was, quote, it is not possible to open access to Wikipedia so long as the decisions are not implemented. Uh, the decisions were based on uh, the, the fact that um, the Turkish government claims that it was falsely claimed that Turkey's, uh, Turkey supports terrorist organizations. And they asked for a removal of this content and they didn't get what they wanted. But this is what I'm talking about when I'm saying that they don't know how Wikipedia works. It's not up to Wikimedia Foundation to remove content. It's up to the editors. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and then they complain about, about it not having been allowed to be edited with accurate information. And that this is quite likely. So there are some actual wikipedia articles that that are locked and and that's when when it's such um such a hot topic that it would be constantly restored and and then pieces of content would be deleted so when it's too hot then there is only a couple of editors that could that could access it that's true but it's still not up to Wikimedia Foundation to remove all that. But Wikimedia Foundation is there to provide support to the the community of editors. So and that's what they did. And so it's basically about getting rid of something that we cannot control. And uh, yeah, it's it's not necessarily a skeptical topic per se, but because of it being very much about free speech and not open not, not about open discussions or about not conducting open discussions but rather getting rid of something that i don't like um it's not the way to go so what we skeptics would like to see either in politics and in science is that there is an actual debate and there are ways to communicate our uh, differences but just yeah, uh, free speech is something that has to be fundamental to to do that. And it's such a fantastic overkill, you know. It is. If, if, if you take all the terabytes of information on on Wikipedia, I don't know how much it is. There must be, you know, it's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction that is about Turkey. So oh. I mean. And and I'm pretty sure that is a good example of the Streisand effect as well. Yeah. Because what yes. happened, now there is an actual Wikipedia article uh, with mm-hmm. the title The 2017 Block of Wikipedia in Turkey. <laughs> That's great. Because eventually, if we believe uh, that, uh, you know, 
and uh, have a somewhat positive uh, outlook of the future wikipedia will be turned on again in turkey and everybody can read that article <laughs> exactly <That's> fantastic <laughs> exactly yeah so i've just i've just had to i had to google streisand effect because i wasn't sure oh is the phenomena the whereby an attempt to hide remove or censor a piece of information has the unintended consequences of publicizing the information more widely exactly yeah. that's that's yeah. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the thing I like the the origin was, was when Bo sorry, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. The origin was when Barbara Streisand in the earlier days of of uh, uh, internet, uh, she wanted to block uh, uh, information on the internet on where her house was, I believe it was, okay. and she wanted yeah. to get that removed. And by just doing that action, everybody became very very interested in looking up that information. <laughs> so everybody eventually knew where her house was. <laughs> So that's that's why it's called the kind of, all kind of backfired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, how I know about that, knew about this is was that I came across it on a Hungarian website and then saw it on Reuters. <laughs> so th that is quite a major uh, news outlet. So yeah, I yeah. think I think it's it's a good example of this uh, of the stress and effect. Um, well done, Turkish government. <laughs> yeah, not. Um, we kind of uh, Wikipedia theme heavy this episode. Um, there is another. Um, well, it, on, in this instance, it's. I think it's a good news. Um, Natalie Grams, who we had on our podcast um, and interviewed, uh, who is a German doctor and author, has got now her own Wikipedia page, but in German. And uh, another great uh, worthy organization that acquired their own Wikipedia page is Homeopathy Information Network. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so those two pages are now on Wikipedia, nicely done, and uh, looking for uh, translators uh, into English. Um, if, if any of our listeners who know German and English would like to help translate those pages into English, that would be great. Um, I think English pages get a lot of hits on Wikipedia, um, so it will help spread the word about who they are, um, the, the organization, and Natalie Grams. Yeah, Wikipedia becoming this source where people go to when they're looking up information, and it's good to be on it. Yeah, this sounds like an excellent task for the GSOW, the Guerrilla Skepticism on Wikipedia project led by Susan Gerbic so if any of those uh, editors are listening please get on that right away <laughs> indeed yeah and I think um, Susan uh, recently um, shared some information about the, the new uh, stats badger Mm -hmm. uh, that that sh uh, tells you the how many the statistics yeah, the statistics yeah. um, about the, the the hits of diff uh, different Wikipedia articles that they took care of. So that's that's a good thing. Mm. I think I think we should we should uh, have Susan on the show um, again yes. to to talk about all this. Yeah, absolutely. And she's coming to Europe uh, in uh, September. So uh, all the more reason. All the more. All reason. the more reason to talk to her. Um, by the way, um, interviews, Natalie Grams was on the show for episode 42. So if you want to check out that uh, that interview, um, go onto our um, uh, webpage and find that episode 42, where we interviewed Natalie Grams. And last but not least... Um, I'd like to talk about something that's go that, that goes on in Hungary. Again, yeah, this this seems like a, a reoccurring theme with me. Politics, it does have a lot to do with politics, but uh, also academia. And the fact that uh, the, the, this article I would like to talk about was published on Science Magazine, I think it makes it worthwhile talking about it in uh, a scientific context, because. Um, I did mention it um, not too long ago, I think, that there was a university, it's the Central European University, which is not a publicly funded, but um, a privately funded university, um, mostly funded by George Soros, who's um, a, a billionaire, an American billionaire of um, Hungarian descent. And now he is being uh, portrayed as the public enemy in Hungary by the government. 
what happened? They attacked this university because of this and passed a law that will basically make it impossible for this university to operate. What's wrong with this? This university, although it's not, um, it doesn't do much in um, life sciences or natural sciences, but it does a lot of uh, work in uh, social sciences and political science in terms of research and education as well. So it is among the most well-respected Hungarian universities abroad. So a lot of people are coming to study at this university from abroad because there are English language courses um, that are of, of, of very high standards. And uh, this is why, even though I, I did say that um, natural sciences are not uh, massively included in the, in the curricula of this university, uh, still it is... It has been said by many uh, people, many researchers even from the, the, the natural sciences uh, side of things, that this is an attack on all academia and all science in Hungary. And the latest uh, article explaining all that in detail was uh, written by Albert Laszlo Barabashi, who's also a scientist. He does um, data science and... Uh, Originally, actually, he's a physicist and uh, his uh, field of research is networks. And he's also one of the, um, the supporting members of the Hungarian Academy of Sciences. Uh, yeah, there are still ongoing um, pr protests against this decision or this law uh, by the government. Uh, and recently there was one that fear that that had 80,000 people on the streets um, protesting against this decision and now actually on this day this very day when uh, we're doing this recording uh, another one um, has happened so that's that's actually something that even at the European level the European Union level uh, was criticized this decision and um, now we are um, we are undergoing some investigations by the Euro European Union based on this. So academia, the, the bottom line is that academia should be left alone by politics. Academia should be free to operate on their own uh, without being pushed and pulled by political strings. And uh, because that is absolutely essential to to do good science and to do good research and uh, to be objective as much as possible yeah so leave academia alone mm. i mm. hope they, they're successful in the protests and yeah it all gets resolved to the good yeah okay so all that means that uh, we are moving on to see who's been really wrong lately in Europe. Yes. What can you tell us about that? I, I can tell you that we're not talking enough about sex. We never, we never talk this about is, sex uh, on the show. We never talk about sex. Uh, this is I know. I know. I would love to. I would love to. Yeah. I think, let's, I think let's that, do will, that. Uh, that will bring our ratings right up. Yes. It's coming up. It's coming up. Go on. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I guess. That's and the ratings too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, I came across a stupid study online about the evolution of lesbian sex. So, so I know you're going to judge me for my Googling habits, but what, what, what can you do? <laughs> How does one randomly come across a study well, like that? Well, uh, you know, it just happens. The study is called The Evolution of Female Same-Sex Attraction, The Male Choice Hypothesis. And it was published on a website called Science Direct, managed by El Sevier. So it's a you know big, uh, big company publishing studies. The research was done by the University of Nicosia on uh, in Cyprus by a man called Menelaos Apostolou, or <laughs> something to that effect. <laughs> it's 
pretty hard to I, I'm sure he wouldn't mind because I'm not gonna I, I, I don't like his study so I'm sure he's happy that we don't pronounce his name uh, please get in touch good. with the recording of the proper pronunciation of your name thank you <laughs> according to the abstract of this study and I quote it provides a new theory of for the evolution of female same-sex attractiveness end quote and the reasoning goes something like this a lesbian sex has to be evolutionary evolved b men seem to find lesbian sex arousing and c therefore lesbian sex has evolved because it turns males on i'm oh, not okay. sure i agree with that <laughs> reasoning which part of that well <laughs> none of it actually Okay. I, 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 I don't mind lesbian sex. That's not the problem. I don't think his logic is fine, though. Okay. It's uh, actually ridiculous. Uh, I want to briefly pick apart what I think is wrong with this reasoning. Okay, first of all, lesbian sex exists. Yes, I can agree. That, that That's true. Lots of things that have evolved are effects of other things that have evolved. So... Uh, all sexual behaviors or preferences do not have to have direct or or procreational purposes. It's it's not all about having babies. For first of all, uh, any trait or behavior that has evolved sometimes has unintended consequences, but it can still be selected for because uh, it's uh, you know the, the the purpose can be positive. And. The study also disregards that same-sex attraction exists in many, if not all, species. So why focus on what human males find arousing? What not? Why not male squirrels? Uh, why not? Why just the males? Why not focus on uh, on on the benefits for the females or for the species as a whole? So I think it's isn't it really typical that for once when a male researcher looks into female sexuality he makes it all about the guys yeah yeah well, so uh, yeah you know he he has a problem with lesbian not sex, surprising uh, unfortunately apparently. and he has to to yeah he has to to motivate it or analyze it in terms of what the males think about it and uh, it may not mm-hmm. have anything to do with you mr menialoas apostolo so for this, uh, the University of Nicosia in Cyprus gets today's prize for being really wrong. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Congratulations. You guys heard us talk about sex on the show. Mm-hmm. He didn't mention gay sex, just lesbian Le- sex. He, he clearly doesn't have a problem with that. <laughs> he only has a problem with lesbian sex. Alrighty. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, but fairly and quite adequately, he is being ridiculed uh, in certain on certain web pages for his uh, very uh, silly study. Yeah. He's got too much time on his hands. Do be, bear in mind. I don't think yeah. it necessarily is silly to study uh, homosexual sex. It could be very educational and, and and interesting for for many kinds of reasons. But it it is not so. It's not actually his study that is ridiculous. It is the the conclusions and the, conclusions, the preconceived yeah. the pre- preconceived notions he has that yeah. that since he doesn't understand why why women likes to have sex with out asking him to participate it has to be explained in terms of uh, uh, that it makes him uh, aroused yeah so it's giving him a different kind of pleasure yeah (laughs) anyway okay thank you for this pleasure of (laughs) listening to this topic Um, thank you very much all of that means that we are about to close the show. Uh, first, let's see if any of our friends have something to share with you, uh, dear listeners. And then we're going to come back to actually finish this episode. Hello, Richard Saunders here from the Skeptic Zone podcast, a podcast for science and reason from Australia. 
Every week since 2008, The Skeptic Zone has brought you reports, interviews, and investigations from all around the world. We have many listeners all through Europe. That's The Skeptic Zone podcast at www.skepticzone.tv. Okay, as usual, we will finish the episode with a quote selected by Yelena. Yeah, and today's quote is from Stephen Fry, who is an English comedian, actor, writer, presenter, and activist who was in trouble recently for blasphemy, <laughs> yeah. blasphemy charges that did not stick, by the way. <laughs> the latest news is that the charges were dropped. Um, good for Stephen Fry. I'm happy for that. And uh, he says... You'll often hear the phrase, science doesn't know everything. Well, of course it doesn't know everything. But just because science doesn't know everything doesn't mean that it knows nothing. Hmm. So there we go. Well said. Well said, absolutely. That's a very common uh, you know, argument from, from people who don't agree with, with science. That's, well, they change their minds all the time, so they don't know anything. Well, yes, we do or we do, science does know a lot of things and every time something is modified it doesn't mean that everything that went before it was wrong. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's why you trust science because science is not only willing to correct itself, it thrives yeah. <laughs> on correcting itself. So that's, that's what builds at least my trust in science. Yeah. Hooray. Hooray. <laughs> Hooray. Okay. And I will keep loving Stephen Fry for what what he is and and how he thinks about the world. Yeah, he's the one of the good guys. Yeah. yeah. Love Stephen Fry. <laughs> okay. On that note, um we will have to um take take it home. Um our love for, for Stephen Fry and science uh, because this is the end of the show I'd like to thank both of you for joining me today Yelena and Pontus thanks guys thank you and until next week goodbye 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 This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe I need to have the show notes The shush what? The shush shush what? Show notes The show notes Sha sha Shush Yeah So this week I want to talk So So let me just you got a phone call. Did no. you get a phone call? No, no, I just... Uh, my, uh, I had a reminder on my phone. Um. And it was uh, published uh, uh, on an online website. Well, online... How, do, how, can, how can it be not online? It could be an offline website. It could be an offline website. I mean, theoretically and, be... and practically. <laughs> well, uh, sorry, technically, I... you can have a website open and then lose your internet connection. That's an on- <laughs> Which offline happens website. all the time, so, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Okay.